Hello and welcome to BizNation, your home for micro and small business help. Join us as we unpack all the pain points in starting or running your small business. If you're looking for support in business, join us on Facebook, Micro and Small Business Support Group. Your host, Kerry Zarb, brings you discussions, interviews and many hints and tips to get you all set in your business. So sit back and enjoy as we launch into today's episode. Today's guest is my biz buddy and human expert, Anne Dobson from Effective Behaviour Management. Anne has worked professionally in banking, retail and insurance before moving into the education sector and teaching teachers in schools as well as students in behaviour management. More recently, Anne has embarked and taken a brave step in launching her own business. She loves the outdoors and goes for regular walks with her husband, Brian, and fur baby, Mabel. Anne is also currently undertaking the 365-day walk challenge. So welcome to the show, Anne. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Kerry. It's lovely to be here, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to your listeners today. Excellent. Thanks so much. So, Anne, we're going to step into a few different topics surrounding um, staff behaviour and, and obviously into the language side of how we manage our staff. So my first question is for you today. How do you think that behaviour issues or, or problems happen in the workplace? Well, I believe that the biggest problems with behaviour in businesses or in any situation come from a mismatch between what the expected behaviour is and what the behaviour actually is. So you have one person or a group of people who will have an expectation about what a certain behaviour looks like. And then you have the person who's exhibiting that behaviour and there could be a mismatch with that. And that often has to do with a breakdown in communication. Very often, we expect people to read our minds. We don't often communicate what our expectations are. And if we do, it's usually in negative tones, no, don't stop, don't do this, don't do that. Or in very broad and general terms, like, you know, we are responsible, we're respectful, we're efficient. And while they're great values to have, it's very hard to measure what those things look like. And so it becomes very difficult to communicate that expectation and also, if you need to, to correct it or reinforce it. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. So what kind of behaviour issues can happen in the workplace? What have you seen? Um, well, some of the common complaints very often are poor job performance, um, poor work ethic, getting along with other people, completing tasks on time. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of these expectations are not clearly defined. So what do you call poor job performance? Unless you have very clear and specific outcomes and clear and specific deadlines, it's very difficult to determine what that is. And it goes back to what I call the expectation gap. People work at different rates and good jobs take time. Um, some people are very, very thorough and that takes time, whereas others will get a job done fairly quickly but may not be as thorough. So you need to have 
a clear understanding between people about what performance actually looks like. If you have a task that has to be done, you need to have things like timelines and clear steps um, as to all the stages of that task, rather than I need that report on my desk by Friday. Yeah, that makes sense as well. Absolutely. And when you talk about these clear guidelines, so setting deadlines, is is that what you're kind of referring to? Like, like you said, you know, I need this by Friday, but we need to be more specific um, to our staff in, in that expectation we're setting. Well, I agree. Yes. The other thing is also communication is a two-way street. So what often happens um, in a lot of organisations, because they are by nature hierarchical, um, is there tends to be a direction from top down to um, other people that actually have to do the task. It's all very well saying, for example, you know, I need this task by Friday because that's the expectation of the person who's observing the behaviour, but they're not actually doing it. Uh, somebody else will need to do it. Now that may be realistic to them, but it may not be realistic to the person who's got to complete the task because of all the jobs involved. And I'll give you an example, a marketing company that I know and I work with, um, they have issues with clients who don't understand why it takes so long for them to produce a film after they've been doing the film shoot. Um, they think, oh, once it's filmed, that's it. But a lot of the tasks involve all of the steps of editing and editing involves a number of different layers. So you've got the vision, but you've also got lighting that you can change and tweak. And then you also have sound. And if you do subtitles or captions, all of those things take time. And if there's no communication between the business and the client as to what the timeline will actually look like, that's when you run into problems. The same thing can happen with um, a CEO and their workers, that if they have an expectation that they need to have a task done, whether it's, um, again, I'll use the example of an advertising brief, unless there's communication with the workers about what is involved in this task, how much time do you need, what are the steps, then some of those expectations, I need the job done now, are not realistic. And that's where you come into problems with frustration, disputes, um, and the perception of poor performance. Whereas it may not necessarily be poor performance, it's more likely to be poor communication on both sides. Yeah, I love that example of the whole video editing that you mentioned because I personally understand the, the production space and, and how much goes on behind the scenes with that. So that was a really good example to give the listeners of, of how these things can be miscommunicated just by not understanding. And you're right, you know, from the top down, you know, someone that's actually, you know, setting those expectations may not fully understand what's involved in the task and therefore not be able to work with the correct deadline kind of schedule to the staff member to to be able to achieve it so that makes perfect sense um, and I guess diving into that a little bit more I guess how can businesses overcome these hurdles like how can someone in that situation actually start to work in in a better format to to work with the, the team members well um, really when it comes down to it any business, your most valuable resource are your staff. And it's often 
um, the, the main thing that tends to get overlooked. As a CEO of business, you have a responsibility to continue that business and make it profitable. Um, and you need to use those resources efficiently and effectively. But when you're dealing with humans, what you need to be doing is communicating effectively. And there's really three stages when you're managing the behaviour, whether that's a positive or the negative behaviour of any staff member and also with clients, because let's face it, we all have difficult clients as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those difficulties can also come from misunderstandings. There's three key components. And the three components are the way you communicate and the way you support the process and also the way you give feedback. So very often, again, if we do the scenario, you know, I want that report on my desk by Friday. Um, what's not really communicated is what's involved in the report, the purpose of the report, why it has to be Friday. Um, while, for example, uh, the person who may have to generate the report may believe that the CEO doesn't understand the process, the CEO also needs to communicate with the staff that there's a reason why it has to be on Friday. And it may actually be because there's another influence. It could be governmental based, it could be client based, could be shareholder based. And so that two way communication will clear up a lot of problems. And of course, everything is negotiable. The other thing, of course, is while you have the communication issues and you need to be explicit, the next thing is the support side of it. So again, the scenario, I need that report on my desk on Friday. I realise that you that's a lot of work. What supports do you need to get this done? So tell me what you need. We can't know everything. Even the person who runs their business and has built it from scratch. Once you have staff and your business gets large enough, you can't possibly know all of the components of your business. Even if you're a sole trader, there is still a lot of components you can't possibly know. So talking with someone saying, what support do you need? Do you need to, you know, need to communicate with the people who need this report and say, we need extra time? Um, do you need extra staff? What technology do you need? Um, what training do you need? All of those things will support the process, which will help the performance to achieve the outcome. And the other thing is also the feedback. And feedback, again, is a two-way street. So when you're giving feedback, you'd be saying to, as a CEO, to your staff, I'm really pleased to see that you're going ahead with this and it looks like you're on target and let me know if you, you need any help or if anything's happening. So you need to make yourself open as well. A lot of people will cover things up because they're concerned of that poor performance and they don't want the CEO to know. But life gets in the way, things get messy, things don't go as planned. And you can save yourself a lot of problems by providing feedback during the process. What often happens is you get feedback at the end of the process and the feedback is usually fairly brief. It's like you've moved heaven and earth to get that report in on time by Friday, you've you know, missed time with your kids, cancelled a dinner date, stayed up all night, and then it lands on the desk and the boss says, good job. You're going to need more than that. Yeah. Um, but also if you're saying to your boss, look, this is where I'm at now, but we've got a problem. 
I hadn't planned, I hadn't thought of this and this is what's going to happen. Do I need extra staff? And the CEO may be able to have a clear understanding of the bigger picture going, I can put another staff member in to support you. Or if we've had an internet crash, they know who to get the technology people in. So because businesses are successful when they collaborate and it's all team-based, by providing that feedback during the process, that's called a formative assessment, um, as you're forming the task, that can also help with um, that performance issue. And then your feedback at the end would be a hell of a lot more than job, you know, good job. It would be, this has made a big impact. This will move our business forward. We have generated X number of sales. We have secured um, a very valuable client. And that is because of your work, your component. That means a lot. And so taking the time to acknowledge to the people or the team or the person who's produced that report for the sake of the scenario, can make a big difference in recognising that their work has been an important contributing factor and it's valued. All humans crave acknowledgement and to feel valued. Um, in fact, to feel important because essentially we all are. And it's often overlooked. And this is the reason why you will end up with dissatisfied employees mm -hmm. who will leave. Um, plenty of CEOs have talked about times when they were thrown a curveball and some of their most valuable employees just up and leave. And they don't understand why. And they say, well, what could I have done to prevent this? And I always say it needs to go back to communication. Yeah. Definitely. And I think also to touch on that, like you said, you know, it's, it's extra contact points. It's not just about potentially putting out that task and setting that deadline and, and creating that, you know, blanket expectation. It's those retouch points during the process of while the task is being completed to make sure that they are okay. How are they traveling with it? Do you know, are they do they expect to, to be able to complete it on time? It's all those little points of communication that add up to not only, I think, the, the process actually being completed to the deadline, but also how everybody feels about it. You know, it's, it comes back to, like you say, humans, feelings. We've all got feelings. We're all human. So it's, it seems so important. Yeah. Well, it's what we do. Um, it's what we do with our clients, isn't it? If we're trying to keep our clients if we're trying to particularly attract new clients we do all those touch points uh, what is the research 16 touch points yep. um, before you actually will generate a sale now any ceo who runs a business will know that but often i see that what they do is they put a lot of work into their client but they overlook putting a, the same amount of work into the other human factor, which is their more valuable resource, which is their staff. And this is why you end up with a lot of turnover of staff. It's often to do with dissatisfaction due to miscommunication yeah. rather than any significant problem. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that we spoke about prior to the show was about our vision statements and our mission statements in our business. So how can a small business actually set those up to reflect correctly and also help set those expectations and, and the warm, fuzzy feelings that we want to reflect to our team? Well, I am a very big believer in vision statements. I'm a big fan of Stephen Covey. 
and his seven habits of highly effective people. He talks about keep the end in mind, start with the end in mind. And I agree with that. There are a lot of resources available on how to write vision statements. I guess what you need to know is two things. Why do you need a vision statement? And secondly, what is that going to look like? A lot of vision statements are written using abstract language and a lot of adjectives. So being respectful, um, I've seen energetic, enthusiastic, innovative, and they are great um, visions. The trouble is, what does that look like? Now, you can't weatherproof every single scenario to say that's what you know, we do when we're innovative until you see it. So when I say weatherproof, um, covering every possible scenario where you outline in explicit language, this is what we are when we are innovative. I've seen people try and do that and it's difficult. But again, it comes back to communication. The first thing is if you are going to develop a vision statement or a mission statement, consider who creates that. If the vision statement is for the entire staff, then the entire staff need to be involved in the process. Now, what can sometimes happen, and I've seen this quite a lot, is you will get the executives of an organisation who will want to work to a deadline to produce a mission statement that looks like a brand. But communication takes time. Any diplomat will tell you that. So allow yourself to communicate with your staff and take that time to see what do they see in the business? What do they believe about the business? Because at the end of the day, they are the ones who are making it happen, particularly if they're interacting with clients. So first thing is make sure that you are communicating with your staff while you are developing that vision statement and consider why you need to do it. If it does not have meaning for the staff, it will be very pretty words sitting up in a plaque on a wall somewhere forgotten. And there's absolutely no point to that. You can have a measure of success if you know that your staff can rattle off what that vision statement is and show you an example in their practice. You can also, I've seen it also where I've had CEOs that will drill their staff going, you know, when I do an audit, um, oh, you know, make sure that you say this, this and this, this is our vision statement. And then I'll say, show me what you mean. And if they can't show me what they mean, it means nothing. The other thing, so the next thing is then using examples of practice to indicate this is how we're innovative. And this is another form of feedback where you're celebrating your staff, saying Joe Bloggs has come up with a new way of doing this, that, the other, um, you know, for example, a new way of um, streamlining our HR systems. Now, I would not have thought of that myself, and that's how we are innovative. Um, we get people to look at what does the word innovative mean? What does energetic look like? So breaking down the words as well and trying to find concrete examples. Concrete are actions and items that you can see, that you can count, that you can measure. If you can use those sort of examples, then that will give meaning to your vision statement. So great to create them, make sure that you know what the purpose is. And the main purpose, of course, is to make sure that everybody is on the same page and follows the same philosophy. But in order to do that, 
you need to make sure that you have input from all of your staff as well and take the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. That makes so much sense to me. And and thank you for, for adding that in because that, that's just a little bit of gold right there. Oh, um, look, it's such a passion of mine. Really yeah, is. yeah, I can tell. I can tell. It's fantastic. And also another thing that we spoke about prior to the show was when we have meetings in our business. So how do we get our team together and, and how do we make our meetings run smoother in our business? Well, we've actually seen um, what can happen when a meeting goes wrong. Look at the recent presidential debate where people were talking over each other and being rude and insulting, which was extraordinary for world leaders. Mm. I think we saw better decorum with the vice presidents. However, I would say that probably what happened was there were some ground rules that were created as a result. Very often what happens in meetings is people will go straight to the agenda and say, right, we need to get through all this stuff without setting what the expectations are about why we're having the meeting, what the objective or the outcome is of that meeting and how everyone is expected to behave in that meeting. I've sat through an awful lot of meetings and I'm sure we all have, and they take up a lot of time. And what's even more frustrating is that you've had that meeting and then nothing ever comes of it. And then you go and have another meeting and still nothing comes of it. And it is excruciating and people get frustrated with that. So the first thing you need to do is keep your meetings short and only have meetings if they're necessary. There's no point in having a meeting if you could have sent an email. The other thing is also, if you are going to have a meeting, assign a role to everyone so that they are actively participating, even if it is a timekeeper. Timekeepers are incredibly valuable. The other thing is you set the expectations about how everyone behaves. So yes, you need a chairperson, and that chairperson drives the course of the meeting. Now, people like Rotary, and Toastmasters and Rostrum are brilliant when it comes to showing the, the way a meeting runs efficiently. Setting expectations about what is considered appropriate behaviour. So mobile phones, if you have a mobile phone, please put it away and on silent. Um, and then if you've got something to say, have a particular protocol about who gets to speak and when. You need some sort of a moderator. So if someone is talking over another, you actually interject and say, the other person is speaking now and you will get your turn at such and such a time. So, you know, doing a round table talk where people talk in turn can be quite effective because it's a visual prompt so you can see who's speaking next. And if people do have comments and want to interject, and that does happen, one of the things that you can do is get people to write sticky notes or to write notes while the other person's talking so that they can raise their objections later. Now, courtrooms do this very, very well. Um, timed speaking um, is another, where you've got three minutes to speak what you have to say because you then avoid the situation of people overtaking the, um, the conversation and you do have that as well. 
The other thing I will also say about any kind of meeting is the importance of parity. So what I mean by that is everyone has an equal say. It does not matter whether you are the youngest casual on the shop floor to the CEO who established the business in the first place. Everyone has something to contribute. And so all points of view need to be heard. And some of the most remarkable innovations have come from the silliest ideas. Now, the, um, I'm just trying to think of one of the bands, a famous band, and they had a session every time they did songwriting called Dare to Suck. Uh, Steve Tyler is the, the lead singer and I cannot think who the band is now. So they would actually have a session that was based on pure parody. Everybody else um, contributed as equal members of the band and they threw out ideas and it was Dare to Suck. So don't be afraid to present a strange and unusual idea because those are the ones that are innovative. But those ideas will not come out if they are not heard and taken seriously. And that also goes to concerns and objections. It needs to be done in a safe environment where all points of view are considered. And that goes back to communication. Mm, definitely. And I love the idea of the sticky notes because I've seen it myself time and time again. If you've got an hour long staff meeting and the first person gets up there and has a bit of a chat about something that's changing in the business in by way of a presentation, people might have questions about that. So if you if your meeting structure doesn't have a little Q&A at the end of each session, but even during the session, like you said, you know, to actually come up with a question, you might think of something. So to have a little post-it note in front of you and be able to write down your question so that you can come back to it later, it might be at the, <clears throat> excuse me, end of the session or it might be at the end of the whole meeting. But yeah, that's a fantastic idea. I, I love it. I've seen it work really, really well. Um, some, of the, some of the ways that I've seen it work is it does tend to moderate those people who like to talk. It does give those who don't like to talk a voice. And the other thing it does is very often people will come up with the same ideas. And if they write them down and then we put sticky notes on a wall, you can categorize them and you can see where the consensus is. Mm, definitely. So thank heavens for 3M. What a wonderful, innovative product, the, the sticky note. I've tried it with electronic ones like Nearpod doesn't work nearly as well as a sticky note. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm a, I'm a post-it note fan and sometimes if you look at my desk, they are everywhere. I, yep. try, I try to put hide them in a drawer so I don't over and, and abuse them basically. But yeah, no, I can see that really working, especially if you've got a few people in the room and there'll be those, like you said, those great ideas that can come forward, especially from, you know, our more introverted team members that, you know, are a little bit scared to speak up and they might be nervous and, and not feel comfortable in front of the crowd to actually have their say so yeah love it fantastic yeah wonderful so and um i think this has been amazing thank you so much for coming on the show but before we wrap it up um where can we find you where where do you hang out website okay. <laughs> well my business is called effective behavior management um there's lots of behavior management um organizations out there. Um, I like to produce results and that's why I call it effective behavior management. I have three main branches of my business. I have online training 
Um, so they're online courses. Currently they're designed for families, but they can be adjusted for businesses and schools as well. And I also work with disability support organisations. The other thing I do that's gaining in popularity at the moment is strategy coaching. And I run that pretty much the same price of a, a personal trainer, you could say. Yep. Uh, not quite the same as a business coach or a life coach where I work with um, either a group or an individual client on what are your specific behaviour management problems and then how do we build strategies to cover, essentially communicate support and feedback so that you can change those behaviour outcomes and then I coach you through it. Because real learning and real change comes from having a coach that will teach you and you make adjustments as you learn along the way. The final outcome, of course, is that you walk away with the skills yourself. And those strategy coaching sessions are a three-month commitment minimum. And that can produce a big difference. The other thing I do, of course, is a lot of individual consulting, depending on, you know, you may find that coaching is not for you. And I also train staff on behaviour management. So I train staff on how to behave, but I also train disability support workers on how they work with their um, participants with um, managing behaviour, particularly to um, avoid escalation. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. My background has been involved in education for quite a number of years. I put it in action with kids, but I've also put it in action with adults as well mm -hmm. so yeah there's actually one lot, last point i'd like to make um, yeah, about when you're managing behavior um, in a business and it comes back to communication is as the ceo making yourself approachable to your staff members you hear people saying i've got an open door policy but in reality that doesn't always work what I think has, I've seen that actually works better is rather than the staff coming to you, you go to them. If you make appointments to see clients and suppliers, um, you can also make appointments to see your staff. It is amazing what a difference it can make to walk around the shop floor and spend half an hour or even 15 minutes with each staff member going, how's it going? What's going on in your life? And listen. Mm -hmm. Get to know your staff member as a person. I have seen staff who will walk through fire for their CEO as a result of those simple things, recognising their staff as people. And that's one of the things I aim to do with effective behaviour management. Behaviour is a reflection of what's happening in the environment. It communicates a need. And so rather than trying to eliminate behaviour, I look at understanding where has it come from and what, can, what adjustments can we make around the person so that their needs are being met? That's a much more effective way of managing behaviour than trying to eliminate it. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Love it. Thank you so much. So, Anne, I'm going to pop all your social links and your website link and everything into the show notes for the listeners. And thank you, thank you so much for coming on to the show. This has been amazing. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I'm delighted to have had the opportunity to meet with you and to talk to your listeners. And I hope it's given them food for thought and I hope it will change their practices for the better. Wonderful. Thanks, Anne. I'll chat to you really soon. Take care.
Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Biz Nation podcast, your home for small business help. If you're looking for support in business, join us on Facebook, Micro and Small Business Support Group. You can find the link on our website, biznation.com.au. Tune in to future episodes for more discussions, interviews and many hints and tips to get you all set in your business. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.